Welcome to the Conversion Tracking Playbook, where we share how to overcome tracking challenges that e-commerce brands face today and real-world examples of transforming data into insights. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Conversion Tracking Playbook. I'm your host, Brad Redding. And we are back in 2024 and talking about everyone's favorite topic. We are going to pick up the pieces of GA4 and just talk through how to take the data that you collected in Q4 and put that to use for you and your business in 2024. And we have a special guest with us in addition to our co-host, John Cairo. We also have another John. John, welcome to the episode. Give everyone a quick uh, intro and then we'll, we'll dig right into the weeds here. Hey man, I'm excited. Longtime Elevar user. No, I'm John Tucker. I head up the analytics practice over at CQL. I've been tinkering and playing with Google Tag Manager and GA4 or Universal Analytics for years and years and years, working with e-commerce since about 2014. So almost at my big decade birthday party for this line of work. Nice. John, you're at CQL and you guys are in, mostly in Michigan, right? Just really quickly, what does CQL stand for? That is such a cool question. I've asked this question and I've gotten multiple answers, but none of them have been an acronym for CQL. I was told that it is a play on the programming language SQL. Oh. Um, but that's as close to like a real answer that seems to fit anything that anybody's ever really given me. Okay, I'll take that. That's a cool answer, actually. Consistency, quality, longevity is another one. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, you can go with that if you want to. <laughs> Okay. So the topic you kind of wanted to chat about is this big topic of picking up the pieces after the holiday season with GA4. And I thought maybe you could just sort of introduce that topic and then we'll dive into some specifics. Yeah. It's something that was kind of like, I picked it because there's a lot of partners that we're working with right now and clients we're working with right now who are kind of turning to us or turning to other consultants that they have, kind of asking like, well, now what? Because this looks much different than it did in the past. Like when we were working with universal analytics, we kind of had this universal knowledge and understanding of like what data should look like. Year over year, we kind of noticed trends. We noticed like what should be happening and when, and like kind of, you know, almost paced out our year based on like, you know, what we were seeing. For a lot of merchants, this is the first year without universal analytics, unless you're on like GA360, you've been kind of corralled into this, you know, the great exodus that was the move to GA4. And like I said, there's a lot of people just kind of like, looking to somebody in the room to say like, what do we do? Because audiences are very different and conversions are very different. And the metrics that report those are either hidden or they're, they're just different entirely. So I love the idea of kind of like digging in a little bit and getting some thoughts together and putting them out there somewhere and maybe, maybe hope some wayward soul who's kind of like sitting in a meeting room just wondering, what conversion rate am I supposed to be using? Or you know, how come this metric is reporting significantly higher revenue than that metric? Which one am I supposed to be using? So a bunch of those questions. I think one thing, the common thing with GA4 is because it's a little bit unintuitive, you need a lot of reminders. And one thing that I saw you mention and we've talked about a little bit is conversion rate. So maybe we could just start with that, that basic idea of like, why could conversion rate be deceptive? in GA4 over conversion rate like we all knew and loved in universal analytics. Yeah. Yeah, I mean conversion rate back in universal like primarily was just this idea of like okay, you had this many purchases because that was the big conversion for so many people. 
had goals and those would be kind of mixed in there. But for the most part, when you looked at conversion rate out of universal analytics, you're looking at like, this is the purchases, like conversions or purchases. And with GA4's great reinvention of the wheel of like what counts as a conversion, I mean, it's a pretty intuitive like next step. We just kind of graduate some of our events into conversions. There's a lot of things that could be a conversion. And the problem is when you pull conversion rate, there's this like sub, I don't know if it's subconscious or not. This is like expectation just based on like our <laughs> common nomenclature that we've been using for the last like 10 years. Conversion is purchase. Like how, what's my e-commerce conversion rate? And it's just not there anymore. Like there are ways of, of getting to this, but we've worked with partners who've had to go back and recalculate almost six months of a conversion rate because they didn't realize it was calculating things like shopper stayed on cart page for 10 seconds or shopper downloaded PDF. I think those things can count as conversions if it is what's intuitive for your business and it makes sense for what data you need to collect to make some decisions on your side about what's working, what's not, pass, fail. But those aren't your e-commerce conversion rate. And when you're looking to present those things to the people sitting up at the big high table, you're probably looking for that e-commerce conversion rate. And that's just where a lot of people are getting confused and having to go back. Piggyback on that, you don't just have a session-based conversion rate anymore. GA4 introduced that idea of a user conversion rate, which I think is a fascinating metric to like go back and look at. And if it was in Universal Analytics, it's something I never saw, and I really wish I did, because I, I love the conversations I get to have like with this kind of like in the tool belt now. Calculated metric Because only. it's so much higher. Right, okay, cool, not crazy. But yeah, being able to see this idea of like, you know, we know users are shopping around. And merchants are always asking, like, how can we reduce that? Like, what do we do to keep them on the page? Better deals? More intuitive checkout? Like, better timing? Seeing that idea of a user conversion rate, it's a pretty glamorous metric if you look at it next to session-based conversion rate. Because like I said, it's much, it's much, much higher for a lot of merchants. And so it's just it's another layer of confusion that GA4 is kind of like slipped on the table when nobody was looking, I think. Get to the right conversion rate for e-commerce, and then which one do you want? Yeah, just just to unpack that a little bit for for those who who might not know. So, typically, conversion rates based on sessions, right? It, it's the number of well, the number that we're talking about typically when we talk about conversion rate is the number of purchases per number of sessions. Yeah, it's number of purchases over number of sessions should be, I think. Right, and then the user conversion rate that you're just talking about amalgamates all the sessions, looks at it as a single a single user, you'd expect that number to be higher, right? Because they can come back in a second session. Yeah. Typically when we're looking at the performance of websites, there's, you know, almost two X the number of sessions as there are the number of users. And so we know that there's a lot of like you know, either it's comparison shopping or in some cases we see that the shopper needs seven touch points over 22 days for some of the bigger ticket items. And so that makes sense. You have seven sessions per user. And so now if we're knocking off seven sessions for every single user on the website on average. That conversion rate goes staggeringly higher. It's fascinating. And I love seeing this as a brand new KPI we can track against. It's such a, what do you want to call that? Just a, a twist in the story of what you can tell when you're going over the data. Interesting. Okay. And then the other thing that I wanted to unpack a little bit is you were talking about conversions and not them not being exactly like you'd expect. And this is because if you mark a conversion in GA4, then it's computed in your conversion rate. So if you consider an add to cart a conversion in the settings, then those add to carts are actually counted in the top of that 
equation that you just discussed. The session conversion rate. Yeah. Yeah. Which is unusual. Yeah, it's super unusual. And it's really kind of weird to wrap your head around it that Google has kind of come back and said, like, as grand as a purchase might seem in the grand scheme of things, like if you have the purchase and an email sign up and a PDF download and a phone number submission and, 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 and. In the grand scheme of things, like purchases has always been like the holy grail of like, this is what I need to get my website to do. I need this purchase. And it's weird that Google's like, nope, they're all the same. Everything is equal value. But you can elevate a couple of those to say like, this is the, my, my grand goal here. And I don't think a lot of people realize that like elevating multiple goals is going to interfere with how other metrics are calculated down the line. Because if you uncheck it, it doesn't go back and remove that from your previously recorded metrics, like at that time, your conversion rate was this, because those counted. It's a twist in like what we we're, we know and love to be able to report on. Yeah, and that just to go through that, because I've shared a little bit on the pros. If you are if you were very goal heavy in UA, where you had goals set up for product views, add to carts, initiate checkouts, etc., and you are sending those same events to GA four, is marking those as conversions could get you back to that similar state where you have goals. The upside is you can look at a report in GA4, your you know your session scope source meeting report, and you can change the conversion and session conversion rate, or or you can change that drop down just to, instead of saying all events or all conversion events, you select just your add to cart conversion. But the downside is when you start looking at that aggregate session conversion rate, or you're pulling in the BigQuery or whatever you might be doing, is like you said, it is it's all rolled up, so it's. I think it also goes back to how are you using data that you were sending to GA4? Are you using the UI where that's where you're doing your reporting and analysis? Or are you relying on more automation and potentially pulling that data outside of GA4 where if you don't know these nuances, then you might be like, we got 8% conversion rate. Amazing. We're so cool. Yeah. It's because we're counting add to carts and product views and purchases all in one. We've had to really get granular. We use Looker Studio for a lot of reporting just to give it that really simple and intuitive visualization that goes through things. And I like it just because of how many, let's see here, how many different ways you can like slice the data through the different controls and whatnot. But either way, we've had to come back and add these filters where we, we have to say, like, you know, filter to purchase name equals this and, you know, really get down into and it. It makes it so much more monotonous in terms of like generating these reports. There's significantly less boilerplate, which I'm actually, I lean into that as much as I can just because works for one does not work for everybody, especially with GA4. Yeah, getting like being able to go through there and like pick through what's being reported, what's being sent over there. I think a lot of it just comes down to like, what does a client actually want to see? Like maybe they do want to say, like, hey, all right, add to cart. It really is a conversion. Like that's big. That's a big deal for us because when you hit add to cart, we might have a service that's in place that like actually does let us follow up with that person. We can, Use that for a separate audience. We can use that for you know better remarketing or whatever the case may be. So no, that's a conversion. Like let's leave that in there. And just getting down to the nuance of what you want has been such a, a back and forth conversation. And there's definitely a lot of like sideways heads when we start saying like, all right, well that's not that's not your purchase conversation or conversion rate that you thought you had. So yeah, it's big, especially when you start exporting data. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about Q4 data. You have this theory that the Q4 shoppers should potentially to me when we chatted it, it almost sounds like you think it's a different segment they should actually be segmented out of your typical reporting can you tell us a little bit about why you're so skeptical <laughs> of the Q4 shoppers yeah i think so 
I don't know if you guys remember when this, like, when social media was first becoming like this big push, and like businesses started trying to become your best friend all the time. Like Verizon tried to like friend you on Facebook every now and then. I think there's a lot. There's like a lot of remnants of that where businesses are trying to start this like personal relationship with their shoppers and like having, you know, here's our emails and we think you'd like that and like you know come chat with us and we'll have a couple events here and there. But like that does well, I think, through a few quarters of the year, and then you hit Q4. And your shoppers don't love you in Q4. Like these are the these are the shoppers who are after like the deals or they're shopping for friends or family. Shopify, and this is back in 2017. I scrambled to try and find a more recent metric, but this one just keeps getting regurgitated. Uh, I want to find it in my notes here. 64% of merchants in 2017 reported that the shoppers from Q4 had a significantly lower lifetime value. Than shoppers that came at any other point in the year. I think this is kind of interesting to me because, again, the group of people that you're getting, or I guess the, the audiences and the demographics that you're getting in Q4, really like blow up the typical picture of like who should be on your website, who should be shopping this website. It needs to be intuitive. It needs to make sense. It needs to be able to something like, I've never seen this before, but my best friend loves this. I need to understand what you're selling and which one he wants so I can go get this thing. And I'm never going to shop there again. But what's happening in the grand machine of e-commerce is that once I've made that purchase, hey, I did it. I did it at a high traffic time. I even got that super great discount. You should put me in an email automation. And Clavio is going to follow up and hit me with a few different options. Or I'm going to start seeing promo codes here and there. I don't want those. I have nothing to do with those. I don't ever want to see this again. Like, I man, good job for you guys and from the person that recognizes e-commerce tactics. Like, hey, well done. But that's not for me. And so I almost feel that like the the, the masses that are coming to the websites in Q4 that fit this demographic as best as you can like whittle your reporting down to find these segments, they absolutely should be extracted and treated as a whole separate market and get a whole separate piece of reporting. When you start talking about annual metrics, when you're starting to look at the entire year, how did we do? You should have a whole Q1 through Q4, day one to day 365. But I almost think there should be this little segment that rests kind of from Black Friday all the way through the end of the year that says, okay, but we really need to take this with a grain of salt when we're looking at marketing tactics and when we're looking at lifetime value and when we're looking at follow-up and returning users and, and our other metrics that are going to come through there. Because those do not typically match your audience. So a lot of my kind of stream of consciousness of like, what do I do with this Q4 data kind of comes from this like, well, man, we've got this huge surge of completely off the wall stats that don't match what we've like spent all year prepping for. So what do I do with it? 100% agree with what you're saying, especially if it's a brand that's very gift heavy. Do you feel like that is a, is it a failure of software to be able to support and segment either automatically or have the automations built in to know like oh, John was buying a gift for family member, Brad was buying for himself, John was buying for whomever, but and have that automation in place where they can segment or do you feel like it's potentially a failure in you know people time like we just don't have enough time to like think through that and put the post purchase surveys and get those you know tag the links and emails going out so you know whether it was a gift for you or her or him or etc. How do you solve for that? I mean, I think everyone likes the idea and I think we can get to more one-to-one personalization and connecting these disparate data sources. But I feel like that's a that's a problem that can be solved. It's not going to be easy to solve, but I feel like it's one that can and will be solved. So what are your, what are your thoughts on the current roadblocks with that? 
I think it's just a lack of some features, or I think it's a lack of some thought. It's kind of a hybrid, I guess, which is kind of a cop out answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> There's a, I think, <laughs> I think there are platforms that I would really like to see kind of step forward and have a little bit more functionality of the ability to turn on and off like this gift wrapping option or, you know, if there's a way to label a purchase as a gift just so that somebody on the other end can get the gift receipt with it or whatever, or, you know, it could just be labeled. Maybe it could be just one more parameter we added to a GA4 purchase event and send it in, create that one more audience, start doing it that way. I've seen, there are websites out there that let you say like, this is a gift. And so I don't know if it comes in like more discrete packaging. I think that'd be awesome if I could just get a box that looks like wrapping paper, just huck it under a tree. I think that you kind of need technology to be able to depend on technology because you're getting an anonymous package. You have no idea what's inside of it. You got to make sure like, oh, that did get delivered. I know exactly what that is. Kind of follow up there. But I think that'd be kind of a, a cooler way to go. I, it's, a, it's a shift from what Amazon's doing because Amazon's sending me my son's Christmas packages without like a box on the outside of them. They're just slapping a shipping label on the marketing packaging that we find on a shelf. And so my son came home and saw several Christmas presents. Maybe we should fix that one first. But yeah, I think that there's this like failure of implementation of technology that lets you label a customer. And it doesn't have to be limited to gift giving. I think there's a whole lot of opportunity of like how a customer can kind of identify themselves during the checkout process. Like this is for me, this is for somebody else, or this is for work, this is a gift basket that would let us as marketers have that much more data to work with in terms of like how we can kind of add them to funnels. Because I don't want to bother people. You know, part of the big crusade of data privacy is like, don't bother me. And I don't, like, I don't want to do that. But I think there's, you know, this lack of ability to kind of even identify some of those people. On the other end of it, though, when we're looking into data, I'm not sure that this is a segment that's really being considered. I don't know how often people are like sitting there and looking at their data saying, okay, but how many of these users aren't actually my users. I know that a lot of people are very bottom line focused and ROAS focused in Q4. They're trying to just make sure they're getting the best money they can, get the best bottom line they can from whoever it might be. But then I don't think a lot of people are putting, like in those moments, I don't think a lot of people are putting that thought into like, okay, well, what are we going to do with this customer information come January, February, March? And how do we use it? I don't quite think it's laziness. I just think it's kind of this lack of like, well, I don't know, maybe imagination is not the right word either. It's just this lack of like, oh, well, I don't, really know what to do with that. Yeah, probably the, it's a Venn diagram of potentially lack of expertise or know-how just because it doesn't exist, potentially lack of technology to do things like if it is, if you do market it's a gift, then that tag gets added to the email in Klaviyo. So now Klaviyo knows or Attentive knows that the person buying isn't the actual end consumer. They bought it for someone else. So it's how do you get that email or how do you, you can try to flip that subscription to the other person and then time. I think the other thing is just natural. You get you get through that big push of Black Friday, Cyber Monday in the last two weeks of December, everyone wants to take a step back and a deep breath and just recover. And then you come back in January and there's a reset and all of a sudden you're 30, 60 days past Black Friday, Cyber Monday. How many people have already unsubscribed because they've gotten bucketed into that generic list where you buy $1,000 of gifts or whatever it is and they just get bombarded and you're just like, I'm out of here. So anyways, that's the way I'm looking at like those three those three pieces where it'll get solved at some point. But anyways, not to, not to <laughs> put off that. I yeah. know you don't have the answer. You don't have like the, the magic answer to that. But I think as you're describing that, the GA4 segment, I do see John, you probably, John Cairo on our side, probably see there are definitely brands that they understand this already, understand this problem, and they have a plan to attack it. 
because they know that it's lower profit. They're acquiring them cheaper. So they have a plan in place to recoup that through second, third, fourth orders. But the majority probably aren't, or majority are not, at least that we have visibility into. It's such an interesting problem, John, because there's so much, yeah, there's so much savings that could be like the Clavio emails that should never be sent, right? There's a bill there. The remarketing ads that should never be pushed out, there's a bill there. The other thing is, are you potentially, and most people are in code freeze from my experience around these times, but like, could you be doing experiments that are flawed because maybe 50% of the people coming to the site are have no idea about your product and they just know they're like wife wants it and that's all they care about. They're just buying something and they're, they're throwing off your stats. Like there's probably some pretty big bills if you add all these problems up, but it's it's not easy to figure out how you would solve all those problems. If you could just get, and then there's of course the loss of like the opportunity costs of these not being targeted the right people, right? Like the recipient of the gift could potentially be convinced to buy again if you remind them and or if you hit them with an ad, but they're 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 not gonna see that. They're never gonna see those ads. So it's it's really it's really kind of an interesting topic. I'd love to know what the percentage of in the extremes, what are the percentages of gift purchases? Like Brad, you said, you know, some companies sell a lot of gifts. I wonder what that means in terms of percentage. Is it like 25%? Is it 50? Because if it's that high over a month, it could be a really big deal. Adam from Elephant Room, who has Gift Note, I think it was around that. It was like 20. The, the brands that they have Gift Note embedded into the whole process, it was like some of the brands, like 20 to 30%. Wow. That's a lot. I don't know, I'm trying to think of like most of the growth that a lot of the brands we work with like see and like a 30, like let's just say like the rise as you get into like November, December is like a 30% lift, right? Like that's, I mean, it's a significant portion. There's obviously like that whole demographic who've been just waiting for the deals for Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Apparently a lot of Black Friday, Cyber Monday sales this year were fueled by <laughs> the, the millennials who are just buying things for themselves for once. Uh, not doing much gift shopping, but just kind of like buying those, you know, the big Pokemon stuffies that they're going to put in their room and, you know, go lounge on like a beanbag or something like that. Is that what that is in your background? I was wondering what that, <laughs> what that is. Yeah, there's a couple of those back here. One of them's a dog bed. I'm just going to leave it at that. All right. What do you got next here, John C? Yeah. Why don't we dive back into some of the specifics on GA4? So why don't we talk about Maybe things that you've seen that are like specifically things that are missing and hopefully some preventative stuff that we could do for next year. Like, can we prep ourselves looking through the lens of this whole Q4 issue? Can we prep ourselves for next year a little bit better? Do you have any suggestions, simple stuff that people can do? Yeah, I think I think one of the big things that GA4 is doing differently than UA is this this idea of like audience creation, where in UA you can kind of go back and say, like, I want I want to make this segment of all my users and I want to parse that into an audience. I want to be able to use that in Google ads or in my targeting and whatnot. GA4 is like, awesome. Yeah, here's your segment. Here's your data. But if you want to use that as an audience, we count from this moment forward. And so having that audience created in such a way now that you're actually going to start gathering these users, have them ready, have them in place for you know the next Q4 season... Going to give you a huge advantage. It's just such an old 
trick from the book. It just doesn't feel like it's a, a new and innovative idea to have an audience created. But I do think there's a lot of people out there that probably don't realize we need to have one of those to try and get themselves prepped up. What are the top 10 audiences? That you, yeah, do you recommend if someone's listening, they're like, oh boy, that's me. Yep, 100% me. Or I need to go check to, check with someone to see if we have them. What's, the, uh, what's your top 10 recommended audiences to create? Oh man, uh, first time purchasers, I would do try and track if you can track lifetime value or if you can track customer lifetime value, having lifetime values at various tiers, whether it's, you know, depending on the price range of your product, thousand bucks, seven hundred fifty, five hundred and two fifty. Returning purchasers, uh, abandoned carts, product viewers. I don't know how many I got there. But yeah, just sticking with a lot of those ones, you know, people who have downloaded product information but not made a purchase, people who have shared product information but not made a purchase. Anybody who screen capped your pages, if you can grab those people. I don't know if you guys have the tracking in place on some of those websites to say, this guy screen capped it and send it out. Getting those guys into an audience would be fantastic. Yeah, anybody who's come through various marketing channels, there's another one. I'm going to add one, which is the weirdest one, but an important one, remove from carts. Because in my, like, I've been going through some BigQuery data. And if you look at the data, one of the events most correlated with purchases is, is removes. And it kind of makes sense if you think about it, because when you're shopping, if you actually go take the time and remove something from your cart, you're probably seriously shopping, right? Like you're probably thinking you're going to make a purchase and you're using the cart as kind of like saving what you're interested in. Whereas like who, who gets removed from cart if they're going to ditch the site and never come back? It doesn't, you just don't do it, right? It's a great thought. I think there's just such little... I mean, because I, I was thinking of people who are going to abandon anyway, rarely come back and hit that remove from cart button. But you're right, there's a lot of engagement from people who are like, okay, it's, I want these things, but not those things. Um, so, I mean, maybe it's removed from cart, but did not purchase. You can kind of follow up and show them those items that they had removed from the cart. One that we've been tracking since GA4 doesn't do time on... No, it doesn't. What does it not do? It doesn't do page load speeds anymore. We've added custom parameters to our GA4 events that we're tracking for partners that actually do count the number of seconds that the window is active in the user's browser. And so we kind of start a timer when the page first loads. If the tab ever comes into the background, we have another counter trying to count how often the tab is inactive. And so if we can start getting a high volume of tab is inactive with activity on the website, so we start saying like, is an engaged user, they have those two actions and spent you know, 10 plus seconds on a page. So engaged user with high count of tab inactivity, we want to target that person because I think that person actively is doing some shopping. I don't know if that's a top one for everybody to go out there and get, but that's one that like we've been able to tinker with in Tag Manager to try and assemble a little bit more insight into shopping behavior, especially for some of our clients that have like a lot of uh, there's a lot, I don't want to say like a lot of products that aren't unique, but a lot of products that have a lot of options out there. Let's say I've never done that. How hard is that? Is that just an event that fires that someone switched tabs? Yeah, so there's an event or a tag that kicks off on session start. And then it just kind of sets that timer. And then there's another event uh, tag that just looks for whether the tab is active or not. It's JavaScript that was implemented that way. So I mean, I had to have some help just because I'm not the most literate with JavaScript. But uh, we got some pretty cool developers at our site that uh, at CQL that are pretty excited about doing like cool little tests like that. So it's a lot of fun to rope them in. I host an office hours every Tuesday in there, we'll start like tinkering around with like, well, what else can we do? Like, how else can we like monkey with some of this data, try and get some more insights out of it? 
So yeah, like now every, every for example, every event has a timestamp of the event. So add to cart happens at 46 seconds on average, or, you know, we can see that, you know, you reach your third page in the session in 55 seconds or whatever the case may be for various companies. It helps us kind of like show a timeline of like how effective the website's getting. Do you do much analysis or take action on net new purchasers versus repeat purchasers? What channels do you use that for? What actions do you take from it? What lessons have you learned from it? What campaigns have worked, you know, scaled or, or not scaled from, from looking at that, that particular piece of data? Yeah, I think that the returning users, especially the returning shoppers are fascinating because they have such a more linear path in the browsing that they're doing. One of the, the Looker Studio dashboards we report on it takes a segment of purchasers, right? We made that like audience in GA4. As soon as we onboard a client, we say, cool, there is now an audience in your account that is purchasers. And we can use that as a segment in GA or in Looker Studio. And so now we can take that and say, like, all right, what are the behaviors? And so we can see they search significantly fewer, fewer times on a page. They have significantly fewer pages per session, especially like the returning purchasers. I would say first-time purchasers, though, is a very different story where they do have more searches. They do have more pages per session. But as soon as they become kind of a repeat buyer, it's interesting. Like the average value, average value for the conversions is a little bit lower. I think they're buying more consumable items that are meant to be kind of like kept to maintain some of those things. And it's interesting because when we, we send all this data over to partners, because we don't manage PPC, we don't work with any of the inbound marketing and whatnot. We'll definitely work with them to consult and just say like, you know, we don't look good till you look good. So tell us if you need landing pages, tell us if you need new text, new media, new whatever, and we'll help to get that going. But we'll give it over to them and like they're able to calibrate some of those campaigns. And so it, it, they've even used those audiences so much into excluding them from some of the PPC campaigns that are more broad, right? Like, because then we can save some of that money, save some of that advertising dollars for those people who are like first-time users, people who need to discover the brand, don't quite know what to search for. And they'll have a returning user's PPC campaign to bring those people in, or even some of those dynamic remarketing or you know, set them up in performance max. And it changes the whole thing. Like the acquisition cost has staggered, like lowered significantly because we're not blending those people in there. We can kind of segment those pieces of data out and actually kind of like, I don't know, I would say like implement better tactics, which is such a, a blanket thing to say. But it just it lets us be so much more efficient with having those those kinds of like audiences broken out, especially when you're saying it's a repeat buyer, like first time, second time, third time. A lot of those audiences get piped more into like as soon as you hit like second, third, fourth time buyer, like you're probably dealing more with like Clavio or like the direct marketing uh, attentive you mentioned earlier, and less less into like Google Ads or Facebook. Yep, I would agree. What you're saying there just gives me an idea of, of, you know, it's so hard to know because of the way users are tracked in GA4 if somebody really is a returning user or not because of the way cookies work and all the, you know, all the issues there. But I, I do wonder if you could determine whether somebody's returning just by, just by behavior, like if there is a significant difference in searches or maybe page views. I can't remember what the other metric you said was, but it'd be interesting to know whether you could come with some confidence and say like, this person doesn't look like they're a returning user, but actually by the behavior, we know they are. You know, that would be, That'd be cool. very helpful. Yeah, because I, I think many, many returning users get misclassified. They switch their device or use a different email or there's there's so many, the cookie expires, like on and on and on and on, right? And that's 
that's a pretty important metric, right? To understand the difference between the behavior of those two groups. But I don't even know if I don't even know if it's worth doing to some extent sometimes because the problems are so bad, especially if you have like a ton of safari traffic. But Brad and I have talked in the past about like, could you segment out all the Safari traffic or all browsers that are mucking with cookies and get a better understanding of what's going on just in Chrome? And then you can probably extrapolate that to Safari, but because those browsers are probably, the people on those browsers are probably not that different in behavior. But yeah, it's a cool, a cool thought. I wonder if you could <clears throat> make some guesses about returning in new. That'd be fascinating. Set up an audience that just kind of says, you know, track on users who have purchased events equals more than one, and then, you know, page count less than X or time on pages equals less than X, whatever it is. There's got to be a way to like get that. I just think that you need that one, that one kind of behavior to kind of bring it all together. I mean, which would be the purchase in that case. That'd be super cool. I just, I really wish. Yeah, I was, I was say you're getting into training models at that point to predict me because that's, yeah. that's going to get past right, yeah. our ability to create all the conditions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you get, won't catch all of them. All right. Well, this has been really interesting, very thought provoking for me. Anyways, do you do you have any parting words, John? Is there anything that we didn't cover in your in your doc that you wanted to? I think we covered most of it. I think like the the biggest thing is just the the takeaways, you know. Is there is there anything small that everyone should be thinking about for next year? Do you think a big question is should people have conversions marked as conversions if it's if it's not a purchase? But I don't think we'll uh, come to a conclusion here. <laughs> but um that's a big <laughs> one. Fun like debate, that's though. that's a huge one. And from the people that I work with, like the the clients that I work with, a lot of them would be especially right now they'd be they're tricked by that. You know, and and even I forget, and I'm in there all the time. So it sounds like a simple thing, but I, I think uh, that's probably for me, anyways. That's the big takeaway. It's like a reminder. Remember that those metrics are probably not quite what you think they are. Yeah, it's such an awkward conversation too. And I have a question for uh, for both of you. I don't want to assume anything, but you do you both buy and purchase online? Yes. Yeah, it's 2024. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, you never know. You never, I, you know. I don't want to assume anything. <laughs> do you have brands that you purchase outside of Amazon? But do you have brands that you purchase through more than once? So, like a second, third, fourth repeat buyer. Are you a repeat buyer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, hundred percent. If you were going back to that site, so John, what's what's a brand that you purchase from regularly? <laughs> oh, which one? <laughs> um, oh yeah, both two Johns, two Johns. I don't know whoever, whoever goes first. Go that John. Johnny, I was thinking of a company called Essence. It's a like a clothing retailer. Yeah. Okay. So if you the next time you go back to their site and they had a way for you to raise your hand and say, "Hey, yes, I'm a returning user. I'm an existing customer," without like them having doing like trickery or anything, and they just literally ask you like, "Hey, person on my site, are you are you an existing customer? Would you opt into that experience? Would you want to tell them so it could better curate?" What they're showing you, what your site experience looks like, potentially pulling in, you know, whatever customer support stuff you have going on, would you opt into that, or would you prefer to remain anonymous? I, it depends on the brand, but the brand that I gave you, I'd opt in for sure. Yeah. What about you, uh, JT, Justin Timberlake? JT, uh, that's oh, loving, loving. I would absolutely hit yes. I mean, like they even ask you that at restaurants. Is this your first time dining with us? You know, it's yeah common courtesy at this point when I go to a restaurant to know whether or not they need to tour the menu with me. 
But yeah, I would absolutely sell. I mean, I think I'd do that for literally any website. I mean, as long as it doesn't get to me like with a pop-up fatigue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it's asking like, do you, have you been here before? Like, yes. Like, all right, well, what do you think about our cookie policy? I'm like, all right, no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> whatever the case may be there. But yeah, I would, I would. I think it would give me a better experience. I'm not, it would track me, man. Like, I, you're only tracking me to give me a better experience. And yeah. I, want, I want that good experience. Like, put your best foot forward. Let's see what you got. My public research. I have my hypothesis on this topic, where the UX is going. I've stated it on this pod in, in the past. And I'm just just asking, just to, you know, to validate, validate. Uh, we'll see. But anyways. Uh, what about you? Oh, hell yeah, I would. Uh, yeah. It's going to save me time. It's going to save me clicks. And I'm probably going to get some sort of loyalty deals, points, et cetera, that I have no idea that I can that I have access to. Weird nuance. Would you also sign in in that same little fell swoop? As long as I don't have to type out my email. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> that does seem to be like the big hurdle for people. Nobody wants to type stuff out. Yeah. So yeah, that's fair. I will say though that that is for a very select group of retailers like that I would opt in for that. And also just the recurring purchases. Like how many brand sites have you been on and then how many are you a recurring purchaser on? It's it's so small. It's probably 1% or something like that. Mm-hmm. And usually they're they're pretty well-known brands like Nike or something or Apple or you know, I don't think if it was a random brand that I bought from once, I don't know. But just the fact, I know we're going like way out on a tangent here, but just the fact that the percentage of people that log into their account to look at their order history is like 0.001%. All that means is it's a shitty experience. That's all that means. I mean, I know there's some there's some solutions out there in the Shopify world trying to improve this. And I think even Shopify has their own improvement either rolled out or they're planning on rolling out. But yeah, to me, there's so much... There's so much connection there between making a better user experience, but also it, it comes back to data, like just data and recognizing the user and providing a personalized experience. Anyways, I could talk all day on this stuff. Uh, John, how do we how do we reach you at CQL, like SQL, but with a C? That's right. Uh, man, my email address, just first name dot last name at CQL.com or CQLCorp.com, excuse me. So John dot Tucker. You find me there. You find me on LinkedIn. I don't know what my little backslash is on LinkedIn now. Um, but yeah, you can always find me on either one of those. But yeah, one of those places. <laughs> cool. Alrighty. Thanks for joining, John. And John. Yeah. Thanks for having me, you guys. <laughs> it was great. See you guys. See ya. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Conversion Tracking Playbook. In order to help spread the word and just support the podcast, if you enjoyed this episode, share it on Twitter, share it on LinkedIn, send it to colleagues, or just send me feedback. I love reading feedback. I appreciate it. Many of the guests that have been on here, they've just emailed saying, hey, I'd love to join. Here's some topics. That could be you. Just shoot me an email or hit me up on LinkedIn. My email is brad at getelevar.com. And if you enjoy this podcast and you want to give us a rating, I would appreciate that as well. You can rate us on Spotify, Apple, wherever you are listening to this. But at the end of the day, if you could just share this and let others learn more about the world that you live in, the world that I live in with e-commerce and conversion tracking, I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.